Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Natalie Millisnow and you are listening to Seize the Day. Now joining me today is a chartered psychologist. She is a professional coach, keynote speaker and specialist on all things diversity and inclusion. I am super excited to speak with her. Please put your hands together for the absolutely fantastic Nadia Nagamutu. Yeah. <laughs> we're literally well. out on stage, aren't we now? <laughs> How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And we, we just had a, a quick catch up before recording. And it's amazing how you link in with people, LinkedIn being the, the appropriate word here. Because mm. we met, I don't know how long ago now, but through a I think it was messaging on a, a post someone had put up or something and then the connection gets formed and I always find that wonderful about social media how we can reach out and get you know great meaningful conversations or meet with people that you can learn from and be inspired by. Yeah I, I completely agree LinkedIn for me is is the platform where I have met some phenomenal people um, that allows me to you know before there were like these people who you held on a pedestal that were just untouchable yeah right they're just like oh my goodness these people are amazing but they'll never never speak to anyone like me and and yet through LinkedIn and me being my cheeky self have <laughs> just message people and you don't like yeah. it's amazing people reply yeah and are open like I'm like I'm a huge fan of Dr Pippa Grange who's who wrote the book Fearless mm. um which is, I highly recommend to anyone, but I just randomly messaged her um, saying, hi, you know, really love your work, etc." She replied. And then, of course, I leapt onto that, uh, the fact that she connected with me and said, would you be open to chatting to me on a podcast? And she said, yes. And we did it, you know, and I it's just like, it. oh, my goodness, you know. So that I love LinkedIn for that. And it's great to to meet you um, properly and yeah just have this conversation totally agree with you it really is someone once said to me if you don't ask you don't get yeah and it is about asking the time might not be right at that moment yeah but invariably it will you know most folks say yes or it will be next time so you always ask and always try because (laughs) magical things happen totally I agree with you so right well let's learn a little bit about you Nadia like one of the things I love about doing this show is really the opportunity to get to understand individuals, get to understand lived experiences that inform and impact who we are today and why we're on the course that we're on, the journey that we're taking and where mm. we're going with it. So wherever you want to go with that, that, that question, what's important in terms of what's got you to where you are today? Gosh, that's a huge question. <laughs> and, um, you know, I could start from the day I was born, but I won't because we've only got 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, it's something I rarely reflect on. But of course, the path, um, my experiences and everything about me um, has led to me being so passionate about this work that we do in diversity, equity and inclusion and supporting organisations to create workplaces and you know, an, an influence society to to embrace it all, everyone. Um, so from my personal background, I am first generation UK born. So my parents were born and brought up in Mauritius. 
Um, my it's a fascinating story actually. So my dad um, just asked, said to his parents, he wants to go to the UK, and they just found the funds to get a one-way ticket on a boat from wow. Mauritius to the UK. He took one month. He was eighteen or ninety. I think he was really. He was pretty young, wow. and he sat on a boat by himself. and And he said to me, he said he cried a lot of the way. Um, oh over here um and there was a very nice couple that sort of spoke to him and supported him on his journey but anyway that's sort of so anyway I'm first generation UK born and um I grew up in a, it was, you know we were a fairly low income family to be honest in yeah. South London um and I, I was bullied as a young you know I, I went to a predominantly or mostly white school um there were quite a lot of um young people who well my students at the school that were from low-income families as well and it led to a lot of bullying for me uh, around my race and and mm. the color of my skin so I sort of held that and then I went I worked really hard went to an all-girls grammar school and for me that's where my privilege sort of where I, I talk about my privilege and some of the advantage I have in life comes from being taught by the same teachers that were teaching those middle-class white girls gotcha. um, who got, who most predominantly got into that school. Mm. And I, so I was sitting in the minority still, and yet I just absorbed everything from this learning environment. And um, yeah, I, I worked incredibly hard. I studied. And so that was my path. And I just fell in love with psychology. I have to say it's just, it. I couldn't have found a better profession. I love it. I'm fascinated every single day by human behavior and organizational behavior. So hence why I went into business psychology. And but but yet every time I, you know, what I was experiencing as I, I went into mainly leadership development, facilitation, some coaching, um, assessment work. But I could there's something deeply wrong almost mm. with some of the people's stories that they were telling me Uh and it took a while, actually, for me to really reflect on my own story, because in many ways, I was listening to other people's stories and going, this isn't right. You know, we need to do something about this if they're not feeling like they're safe or comfortable to share things about themselves yeah. in their workplace. But I, what I had done and I hadn't realized in into my early 30s, I still hadn't realized that everything I had done up until then was just this is going to sound really odd. Um, but I had imagined that I was white. Right. I was acting like yeah. I was white and I had pushed my identity as a Mauritian female, you know, completely away because I wanted to belong. I wanted it. all the environments yeah. I, I was in. I was the only or one of the minority. And so in order to fit, I just imagined that the color of my skin didn't matter that my identity from yeah. a race perspective didn't matter and so it's, it's been a fair amount of work as and so what I love about working in diversity and inclusion not only about supporting um people organizations leaders to really get get this right mm -hmm. as much as possible um is that it's challenged me to think about myself and to think about what my own psychology and my own sort of really taking time to reflect on who I am and how that's impacted my perspective of the world and how yeah. it's impacted how people treat me. So yeah, there you go.
that honestly <laughs> powerful really power I actually felt emotion literal emotion involuntary tears come to my eyes when you were talking about that actually mm. because it resonated with me on quite a deep level you mentioned the word privilege you mentioned mm -hmm. the deeply wrong stories that people were sharing and then that recognition within self about actually how I was trying to fit in and belong and altering who you are and not paying attention to actually mm -hmm. who you are yeah in order to have that piece about fitting in and that really connected with me because I too and I, I have no doubt lots of people listening will experience this also that need to fit in that need to belong so we adapt who we are or see ourselves in a different way or frame ourselves differently mm -hmm. dress differently show up differently in order to you know take our square and perhaps try and fit into a circle whatever it might be yeah I really felt that and I'm super grateful for you sharing when you deal with leaders now and when you go into organizations and corporations what do you see when you show up what is it people are, what do they want to do and what's happening in those spaces mm, okay so what this is a really fascinating uh, question actually because there are different organizations that are in different places and so from a DEI maturity perspective um, I see and hear lots of different things so some of my first conversations can be with an HR person who has been given the task of solving this issue that we've got mm. you know so usually but not always it stems from um insights and conversations new conversations and uh people in 2020 particularly as a result of the black lives matter movement but also because of the discrepancies we saw in in covid and covid cases and how different yeah. people were there from a health perspective health inequity perspective um how that was playing out it it brought up many conversations that organizational leaders just didn't know what to do with and so they would task um, an individual whether they would appoint a DEI lead or uh, an HR person to find an organization that can help with some training right and that's fine but often they were starting with we just want some unconscious bias we just need everyone to understand what what this means what you know and for me those sorts of I always take it I was like, okay let's take it back a step What's going on in the organization that makes you feel like this mm -hmm. unconscious bias training is the right way, right thing? Um, but secondly, what are your senior leaders doing in the, it, to support a cultural change and shift that's needed? What are they doing to create a space where everyone can have this conversation and feel like they're listened to and heard? Mm -hmm. Because if you're hearing rumblings of um, you know, people feeling unsettled and wanting to voice that needs to be listened to and heard that no unconscious bias training is going to support you with this. And actually this is for me, not the right approach. Uh, and so at Avenir, we're, we won't be supporting you if you choose this direction. However, what I'd encourage is for us to let's get in front of the executive team. Let's yeah. speak to them. You know, we need, you can't create change in this space unless the senior leaders are willing to look at themselves like yeah. properly deeply look at themselves spend the time do the work to recognize their own lens that they see the world their own biases their own privilege yeah. and, and earned and unearned advantages yeah. and to to recognize that people in the organization will have different experiences to them 
Yeah. So cultural change, and this is where we work, you know, we have to work with the whole system. There's no point in sheet dipping people through a load of, of workshops and training. And I think a lot of DEI professionals and practitioners who are working in this space, they do avoid some of those trickier conversations yeah. um that you know you they happy happily do the unconscious bias training they'll happily you know work across the organization and just deliver some short sharp 90 minute sessions uh so so some organizations are starting there other organizations want to really genuinely want to to know they want to peel away all of the you know the issues really go deeply into what's going on in the organization so we work with them happily um, to offer we have an inclusion survey tool that measures inclusion culture so we will you know and and people offer us that insight because it's an external organization that they feel like they can confidentially and anonymous uh, and anonymously um share their insight about how they're experiencing the organization and we can cut the data in lots of ways offer report recommendations and that's really powerful because it gives organizations then a starting point about ah I had no idea that people you know of an ethnic minority background or women or men or care people with caring responsibilities or people um at senior levels or junior levels, you know, we cut the data in so many ways across different socioeconomic backgrounds and demographics yeah. that we can really give them a picture. And that's their starting point for a DEI strategy. You have Fantastic. to start with strategy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I think it does actually, because, and I love how you've, you've, you, you articulated it as well. There's something about you have to start with leadership. And to your point, every organization is different. And until you really understand the root of what's driving everything, because yeah. ultimately, you know, people operate based on what they're being fed from a senior, mm. senior point of view, the direction of the company, you know, values of the company, language that you see being shared, how people are operate, uh, operating, the, the sentence that then says, but this in terms of justifying how things are, are operating yeah. until you interrupt that thinking. And really take the mirror, have the reflective, the self-reflection is tough when we talk about privilege, when we, you know, really, how did you word it? Earned and unearned advantages. Mm-hmm. When we really take time to sit down, okay, where have I, where have I been fortunate? Where has my privilege supported me as a white individual? You know, wh- where is, where have I felt benefit that somebody else isn't? Where is the equality there? How, how is, how are we showing up and being fair? the cultural side of things until you address that from senior leadership who then implement that yeah to your point the unconscious bias piece which is really important more often than not those folk are actually so on board with it but they need to see it elsewhere within the business yeah you you can't enact cultural change unless it's being role modeled at the very top um that doesn't mean you don't work with all parts of the system and it doesn't mean that you don't speak to people uh, you know, at all levels, that everyone needs to have an understanding of what we're talking about here and why it's important to mm. them, to their experience, to the people around them, and to the business as well, to the organizational outcomes. Um, so, but but yeah, everyone, all organizations, in answer to your question, come with a very, and I can tell instantly where they're what sort of camp they're sitting in that we want to do this and we want to do it properly and our senior leaders are engaged and they're bought in even though they might find it 
slightly uncomfortable to go mm. through this journey, they're willing to do it versus when I ask the question about the senior leaders and they're just like, I don't know if they'll have time for, for all of these workshops, but we'll, we'll definitely, we definitely want our, our, a conversation in our organization and that's not going to wash. Yeah. What have you noticed when you've gone into organizations and had this transformation? Cause ultimately the, the, there is, you know, the, the progress that you go through or rather start starting with the, the key kind of analysis and the, the survey and the, the mm-hmm. reporting and the stats that you pull together. What do people experience at the end of it, having gone through that journey? So, well, the the, the survey and the, the the report and the recommendations and the DEI strategy is obviously just the starting point, right? And we have to recognise that that when you work in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion, it's a really it's a long game that you're playing. Mm. You know, it's not going to be instant. Of course, there are some quick wins and some things that organisations can do to you know things like social events, right? Often they hadn't necessarily thought about how their typical ways of socializing is so the norm, they don't necessarily think how they might be excluding certain people. Um, and this has come up time and time again in, in the surveys or from a religious perspective, you know, that people um, have to, if they're of a non-Christian faith, have to take annual leave to celebrate their um, right. their traditions, their, you know, and and so and as well as obviously understanding the language and the banter that's that's used that might be harmful or hurtful, the subtle acts of exclusion or microaggressions is also known that might play out for people where they feel undermined or diminished because of aspects of who they are. So there's so many nuances to what's going on that, yes, there are quick wins, but of course, often, not always, but often there is signposts towards the senior leaders that need support in understanding what is this thing called inclusive leadership Mm. what are we actually talking about and I think here and that's often where we do end up starting is supporting these leaders through their understanding of themselves the lens that they see the world um the their beliefs and their values that they hold and how sometimes diversity equity and inclusion can can evoke emotion in them in in an in an like negative emotions around yeah. this is unfair now you know that I don't necessarily believe diversity equity inclusion is inclusive for people like me so mm-hmm. bearing in mind that some majority not always the senior leaders are men and have a lot of um, majority characteristics I will say yeah. Okay, so that can it can feel like an attack, and that is not what diversity equity inclusion is about. We need everyone to feel like it's about them. Yeah. But of course, when we're trying to create that equity, yeah. So equity meaning as opposed to equality, where we're treating everyone the same. Yeah. Equity offering, um, recognizing that people are starting from different positions because of how society has treated them, because of history, because of the environment that we're in, that equity can often feel like positive discrimination where we're just we just want women now because actually we need to meet a benchmark or a quota or some kind tick box yeah yeah you know and and it's really damaging um because we need those people at the top those senior leaders to feel like they actually want to lean into that discomfort and do something about it as opposed to feeling well i'm just losing out here i don't see any benefit at all for me to take any action on this yeah um and that's what my book's about is you know 
um it's it's all it's addressing the the multiple camps so four different ways of being or perceptions of of diversity equity inclusion that act as barriers to in to leaders actually leading in an inclusive way great segue let's talk about the book because I know you're <laughs> writing it at the moment it's brilliant it's absolutely fantastic I know you're writing it at the moment couple of chapters left to go we talked Jessica, about this just yes. before we started recording yes share with everybody the the title of the book what what it, what it's about you mentioned the four key parts there what can people expect when you release this is it coming out this year so um I think like oh, no it'll be <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know um, March <laughs> April next year okay is fantastic. What I'll say loosely um th- those are this is I haven't this is the first time I'm obviously writing a book and and going through this process which is hugely challenging I have to say as well as great fun I am enjoying it um but there's a six month lead time from me handing in the final manuscript to to actually seeing a physical copy of the book which I I have no idea what happened in those six months but that's what my publisher tells me so I'm going with that um so yeah so two two chapters to go um the book is called Beyond Discomfort Why Inclusive Leadership is So Hard and What You Can Do About It Wow, I like the Beyond Discomfort. That's yeah, that's a headline grabber. So please go and carry on. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it, so I have based on facilitating conversations with many, many leaders globally. Um, you, I can't help but notice the different responses I get to the conversations around privilege, the conversation around equality versus equity, around um you know structural advantage and bringing up conversations around well you know f- simple things like pronouns yeah. you know and and I've had this you know conversations in in workshops where where leaders are saying to me well do I really have to put my pronoun on just 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 for the minority you know if if one percent of you know don't identify with a, a male or a female should I really should we need really need to be offering our pronouns for for that small minority does it is it worth the effort you know those sorts of conversations right as example so the 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 four ways of being so I, obviously we don't as a DEI practitioner I don't enjoy putting people into labels I, I yes you know however for the purposes of the book and simplicity um there are four quadrants or and based on people's way of being they are more or less willing to act as an ally towards it from a DEI yeah. perspective and more or less um, receptive to learning about themselves and about other people. So those people who are sort of low willingness to act, low receptiveness to learn are what I call people called are disconcerted. And that's the people who really do feel like this is unfair now that the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction that um you know we we recruit the the right people for the job that the best people get the job and that it's based on meritocracy Mm. so they have a lot of belief systems around fairness that now don't match with what we're saying being an inclusive leader is yeah and so it jars with them and they have no idea what to do with that apart from fear yeah um, of this huge change fear of 
you know, one woman in one of my workshops said, you know, fear, I, I'm I'm afraid now for my three white blue eyed boys that when they get into the workplace, you know, they're not going to, they don't stand a chance to get to be as successful anymore. You know, I'm going to come so, back to that. <laughs> so, so that's the discount. Then um, there's a, a group of people or leaders who are in a more of a backslapping, um, I call it, um, way of being which is that they feel that they are as inclusive as it gets already they treat everyone with fairness they treat everyone the same right it doesn't matter they don't see color and they don't see gender and they don't see sexual orientation they just treat because because we're human Mm. and of course if we treat everyone the same with respect with kindness with how how we would like to be treated then that's as inclusive as it can get and again it jars with them when we're talking about inclusive leadership because we're saying you need to acknowledge that people are in different, they're at different starting points. They're not, doors are closed for some people and for other people they're open. So by treating everyone the same, actually it's not fair. And that's really hard because actually all their sort of career as leaders, particularly from HR, they've been told be consistent, be fair, treat everyone the same, and then you'll avoid the employment tribunals. Yeah. Because people won't think you're playing favourites and all of that. But we're we're telling them to treat people differently. That's really hard. And they don't know how. And there's this fear of, like, the the complexity around it. They just don't understand. Um, Then there's the proof-seeking people, leaders. Their way of being is sort of, they're open and receptive to learn. But actually, because they're, reluctant or resistant to stepping out of their own lens seeing things like differently they're the sort of they're sort of saying well I don't see it you know I I look at that tree and it's green and you're telling me that other people look at it and say it's purple well it's green right it's green (laughs) and so they just they really struggle to see how other people might experience something different to them and so therefore they're constantly looking for evidence and, right. and the problem with inclusive leadership and, and DEI in general is that it's not always tangible and it's not always visible where yeah. the inequities lie. And so we're trying to convince them to lead in a different way and they, they just can't see it. Can't see it. Um, and then, of course, the final quadrant, which is people who are willing to take action, who are willing to be you know, look deeply within themselves Um other people beyond discomfort and and because inclusive leadership is about being comfortable with the uncomfortable it's never going to be easy and we might feel like we've worked through something in ourselves and then we come across something else I I work in this space day in day out and there's I learn something every day when I facilitate conversations and I hear things that I'm just like I did never thought about that before you know, there was a woman on a on a call, and she she sort of said, you know, uh, she was from a um, Southeast Asian background, okay. and so she was saying that she, she she lives in the UK. She struggles to find glasses, as in, you know, for her to see those sorts of glasses that fit sit nicely on the bridge of her nose, because people from you know, so her ethnic and racial background have low bridges. Oh. And so when she bought, had glasses, she had to get them specially made for her because the bridges of people, I suppose, general UK population have higher bridges on their nose. 
So it just didn't sit on her nose properly. She couldn't wear these glasses. And in each, she went to so many opticians, couldn't find a pair of glasses. I never, wow. had, never, never occurred to would me. Never occurred before. to me. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you have to be open to recognizing that other people's experiences of the world are different um, and valid. And yeah, absolutely right? valid. And to acknowledge that, yeah, we're the majority designing for the majority. So, you know, it's, it's the same, you know, and I always bring this because a lot of people can relate to it. You know, I am right handed and I mm. walk through this world every single day as a right handed person, not thinking once about whether a left handed person might need to adapt yeah. to the world around us because it's not designed for them. Yeah. Um, and that's my privilege. That's my it's a it's an unearned advantage. Right. Yeah. Because. I'm right-handed. I can't do anything about it. It's not something I should feel guilty about. Absolutely. However, now that I'm aware and I notice, I can ask people, right, who are left-handed. If if I'm designing something or if I'm doing something, I can ask them if they need me to adapt anything for them to help and support them. Um, And depending on my accountability and my responsibility, as I'm designing, I can design for difference. Yes. But it takes time and it takes more effort and you might need more resource to it. And it's not always comfortable. So actually, it's a really hard sell. Quite frankly, (laughs) my job is a really really hard hard sell. sell. And I am grateful for you. I appreciate you. Honestly, (laughs) I'm excited for your book as well. I mean, there's so much magic in what you've shared there. And that's a nugget of what you've written. I can't wait for it. Thank you. I had Lucy Power on my podcast um, last season, so maybe even a year ago. I don't know. I I would need to check. And she talked in the podcast. This is an expression she got from somebody else. So it's going down the line. We're sharing. Um, You can only meet others as deeply as you've met yourself. And there's something Mm -hmm. incredibly powerful in that, that Mm -hmm. the the deep self-reflective piece we need to do, the deep bit of work, in order to be able to meet and see others, to be open, to be expansive, to evolve, to move with the time. The world is changing rapidly. We only need to look at technology to see that. It stands to reason that everything else we need to be aware of, we need to grow. And once we are aware, it's, you're wonderfully put, it's then ask questions and invite somebody into the space so they can feel included, feel Mm -hmm. listened to, feel heard and feel seen. Yeah, that I couldn't have put it better myself. That's spot on. That's that's <laughs> it. But but it's uncomfortable. It's really and, uncomfortable, you know, yeah. Because it brings up a whole host of emotions and thoughts about, well, am I a bad person then? Because I didn't know that before. And so that means that I might have in, unintentionally excluded someone or said something that might be hurtful. And then we go in this whole inner battle of, you know, and so it's, it's easier just to either not walk that path. Yeah you know, or just to push it away and just kind of say, well, you know, because I want to be a good person. And that's, you know, we, there's a lot of people who talk about this um, in, in, you know, in the DEI space, you know, we, there's a very binary bias where we want, we're so desperate to be good people. And if we're not a good person, then we're a bad person. And there's nothing in between. Yeah. And that's just not the case. There's a book, you've made me think there's a book, I want want to get the title right. Um, So where is it now? The person you mean to be by um, Donald yes. Chug. Have you read? Ex- yes, to be I've a goodish person, you've got it. Yeah, exactly that philosophy yeah, that we're now, trying yeah. so hard to be good people that we then have that counterbalance. Oh well, then I'm not good. 
and or we get offended when we haven't quite got it right or it's tricky the discomfort is real and it's just being patient with both ourselves yeah. and allowing ourselves to grow and experience and also recognizing the next person yes yes exactly because you know if it's hard for us as inclusive leaders it's going to be hard for those people who because the world has been designed for the majority and, and by the majority if they're sitting in the minority they'll have had to navigate this world day in day out using extra effort cognitive demands physical demands and and we're not getting the best from them uh, if they are expending energy on trying to adapt constantly mm. so I, I love this work it challenges yeah. me every day uh, I, from a personal perspective as well as a professional perspective and 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 it's hard to just let go sometimes sometimes I'm I'm corrected people correct me yeah um during sessions if I've said something and oh you know it's hard because as a yeah. facilitator and you know you're you, you you need you know there's my expectation of self I need to be an expert in this I need to I need to get it right and of course I won't because yeah. I'm human and I won't always use the right language and you know the best way in a way is is to role model how to receive that feedback and acknowledge it yeah you know a lot of people in work you know inclusive leaders they're just scared of getting it wrong and saying the wrong thing and so they don't do anything they say they just freeze yeah um for fear because the language is changing I've heard it all that you know the language is constantly evolving one minute we are able to to use the term BAME and now we're not and yeah. now it has to be you know people of an ethnic background and so they just get so overwhelmed and we just go into this freeze uh, and it's just not helpful so as long as I feel as a facilitator in this space can can get it wrong that yeah. do get it wrong and acknowledge okay I understand that I'm you know and I'm sorry if it came across that way. My intention was you know, yeah. this, um, but I totally understand how that might not have um, been received in that way. And I'm um, grateful for you telling me and as exactly, well. Exactly, and thank you. So great. Right. I, I spoke at a um, an event on active listening. That it was a charity organisation for folk with spinal injuries um, okay. and typically wheelchair users. And a piece of video I showed an emotional video about mental well-being actually however the part of the video had people running and I did not connect the dots between somebody who is who has lost the ability to to walk or in a wheelchair would question me right. after said I don't understand why you've just shown me people running okay and I it really landed with me and I was quite I am so so grateful that you told me that because I would not I didn't connect the dots because there was another message there however I can find that message another way. Yes. And thank you. Thank you so much. Exactly. So we do make mistakes. We do learn. And I was so grateful for that openness, actually, and that we had yeah. the space and that they felt comfortable to share that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the responsibility of the inclusive leader to create that psychological safety using that term, you know, uh, where people feel don't fear negative consequences of being able to share, and, you know, they can share their different perspectives share their ideas share their thoughts offer feedback like yeah. that person did to you and that's you know and that's something what we hear in that often is oh, someone's just said something given me some feedback and oh my goodness they're right and what does that say about me because I hadn't thought about that and actually what we should be saying is I was able to create a space 
where that person felt safe enough to approach me and offer me something which is so valuable to to me leading and adapting and being as inclusive as I can be and that's for me to to be happy and proud about that totally. actually I was able to receive this um it, from exactly someone. and it transformed my thinking yeah and that's only that can only be a good thing so and, and that's the discomfort it is dis- it's it's uncomfortable yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, that's what the book is about and and I hope that you know through the there's a lot of reflective coaching style questions at the end of each chapter, getting people to really think um, how they might expand that. If they are feeling an affinity towards a particular way of being and they've thought that before or felt that before, how might they start reflecting and expanding on that way of being to, to be able to lead beyond discomfort? Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. This conversation has been magic and I'm so grateful to you. So you've got your book coming up uh, next year. Very exciting. You also have a podcast called Why Care and you speak to some incredible individuals on that. Just share a bit about for uh, podcast lovers who will be listening in. You know, what's your podcast about? So, yeah, thank you. Why Care is just into its fourth season now. So there are many episodes to listen to. Um, Talking to thought leaders and DEI practitioners globally offering so many insights from a a leadership perspective, an organizational perspective, an individual perspective on how how to do DEI basically. Um, So sometimes I go niche into like, for example, LGBTQ plus community. Sometimes it will be around neurodiversity. Sometimes it'll be about mental health. Sometimes it will be about caring and parenting. Um, So I cover some some of the episodes have sort of deep dives into certain areas and others are just talking more broadly about how to, you know, DEI strategy and how to integrate diversity and inclusion into the organisation or some of the challenges as a DEI practitioner. Um, but this season, which is I'm about to, I'm coming into now, I'm interviewing and, and my guests are all DEI authors, relate, something related to having a, having a book around DEI and Brilliant. so it's great fun I'm talking and, and it's wonderful because I'm I'm talking to people who have walked the path before me and you're now on that and journey exactly. yeah so it's really really powerful and I love elevating the work that people are doing and, yeah. and so that's just something that's really personal to me to be able to support people who have written some amazing books on the subject and so unpacking that content and offering that to to leaders and listeners in general is I'm having a lot of fun, I have to say. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, well, do you know what? I'm definitely going to be having that down on my regular now when season four comes out um, and the book too. Thank you so much for joining me. This, Honestly, it's been soul-riching. It's been really fabulous speaking with you, Nigel. I'm, I'm grateful to you. I have really enjoyed it. Thank you for your fabulous questions and for being interested in me. It's, it's what we want, isn't it? For people it's what to, we want, yeah. You know, we have this hunger as humans to... for people to see us and to hear us and so thank you for holding that space for me totally absolute pleasure and thank you everyone for listening take care look after yourself keep well you have been listening to seize the day with natalie miller snell if you've enjoyed this show please head over to seize the day.simplecast.com for all of my other shows if you're interested to hear more about coaching please visit nmscoaching.co.uk If you'd like to chew the fat over some of the topics in these podcasts please come and join me at my Facebook group Dare to Be You 
and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening.